1: Hello, babies. This is your boy, Uncle Jimmy. Here to give you Whitlock's Weekly Fire Starters. Y'all ready to get it, get it going? Let's make it happen, Captain. Hey, on Monday's show, check this one out. Disney and ESPN—they're pushing of the XYZ and X plus movement on TV during the Women's NCAA tournament, and they had a little moment of silence to protest Florida's don't say gay bill. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that, am I? Okay, don't say... Don't say what? What can I say then if I can't say... Hell, I'll say what the hell I want to. Anyway.
2: American essayist Charles Dudley Warner coined the phrase politics makes strange bedfellows. It was written as an observation in the mid-1800s. Christians should have been interpreted as a warning. The adoption of political identity will eventually align you with your enemies and inevitably detach you from your faith. We can see this process unfolding in the sports world in real time. The ultimate example of American meritocracy and exceptionalism competitive sports, is no match for politics' ability to divide, corrupt, and conquer. Politics is always about power and money. It cannot coexist on equal footing with faith. Politics is about the rulership of Earth and has no concern with salvation in an afterlife. It is short-sighted, greedy, and unethical. It obeys Caesar's creed. If you must break the law, do it to seize power. In all other cases, observe it. Just six short years ago, NFL quarterback, Colin Kaepernick made arenas and stadiums platforms for political expression of dissatisfaction. He said he kneeled during the national anthem because police officers killed black men without consequence. Soon after, soccer star Megan Rapino and others joined Kaepernick in protest. And soon after that, on-field protests were about far more than the value of black lives. It was about equal pay for female jocks. LGBT rights, Trump resistance, LGBTQ rights, MAGA resistance, LGBTQ plus rights, Voter ID laws in Georgia. And now, finally, LGBTQIA plus rights. Late last week, ESPN employees called for a moment of silence because Florida Governor Ron DeSantis plans to sign a law that, among other things, places limits on what Florida schools can teach young students about gender and sexuality. HB 1557 is the Parental Rights in Education Bill. Its critics claim it discriminates against the LGBTQIA community. Critics call it the Don't Say Gay Bill. ESPN anchor L. Duncan, aka light-skinned Jamel Hill, took to the airwaves to express displeasure with Florida lawmakers. Here's the clip
3: legislation happening in Florida and across other states as well that are targeting our LGBTQI plus communities. Many of our colleagues here at ESPN have planned and organized a walkout that will be happening at 3 p.m. Eastern today. And to be honest with you, we thought we were going to come here today and really celebrate a sport that has meant so much and done so much, including for so many in the LGBTQI plus communities. But we understand the gravity of this legislation and also how it is affecting so many families across this country and because of that our allyship is going to take a front seat and with that we're going to pause in solidarity.
2: Yep uh, ESPN basketball broadcasters Carolyn Peck and Courtney Lau they were up next listen to them.
3: Courtney Lyle, Carolyn Peck. Now, normally at this time, we would take a look back at the first half, but there are things bigger than basketball that need to be addressed at this time. Our friends, our family, our coworkers, the players and coaches in our community are hurting right now. And at 3 o'clock, about 8 minutes ago, our LGBTQIA teammates at Disney asked for our solidarity and support, including our company's support, in opposition to the parental rights in education bill in the state of Florida and similar legislation across the United States. And a threat to any human
4: rights is a threat to all human rights. And at this time, Courtney and I, we're gonna take a pause from our broadcast to show our love and support for our friends, our families, and our colleagues.
2: How many more letters are we gonna add? to this. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when it was really just G and L, gay and lesbians. Or maybe it was just gay, because gay included lesbians. How many more letters? They keep adding letters and keeping the plus. And, and I know what letter they're really after. It's the P for pedophilia. That's why they keep putting that plus. No matter how many letters, this may include the entire alphabet except for the P, and they'll still put a plus on there because at some point, they want to legalize and normalize pedophilia. It's going to happen within our lifetime. Parents, having authority over what their kids are taught in public schools is a threat to the LGBTQIA+ community? How parents created the LGBTQIA+ community, but but I'll play the game and let let's say that it is. Why is this threat being analyzed, discussed, and combated on Disney's Sports Network? Why can't it be covered exclusively on Disney's ABC News Network? Are there any Disney employees who see abortion as a threat to babies in the womb? And will those employees be allowed to call for a moment of silence on a Disney platform? Sports and religion used to be partners. Teams took knees together in pre- and post-game prayer. Churches sponsored baseball, basketball, and football leagues. The best coaches saw their profession as a ministry. Politics does not leave room for religion. Coaches now prioritize making political statements rather than religious ones. Nick Saban appearing in a Black Lives Matter commercial is good for recruiting. So is hiring female assistant football coaches. In the not-so-distant future, Sabin will need to appear in a commercial vowing support for the LGBTQIA community. BLM and the LGBTQIA are the same organization. It's the Alphabet Mafia. They're making offers ESPN, Nick Saban, Greg Popovich, the NFL, and the NBA can't refuse. Black Lives Matters was a Trojan horse for imposing secular values on popular culture. Sports had been the most powerful tool supporting traditional Judeo-Christian values in American culture. Men's sports celebrated the patriarchy. That is no longer the case. Kaepernick led the invasion of politics into sports. He gave Disney and ESPN the excuse they needed to overhaul sports culture into something that that pleases the alphabet mafia by disavowing Christian principles and values. Secularizing American sports is the gateway drug to overthrowing the U.S. Constitution. That is a big tinfoil hat. Conspiracy statement and theory, but damn it, I'm not wrong. Let me explain. Like sports, our Constitution is infused with Christian principles and values. Live sports programming is the strongest content force in American culture. The NFL is the most popular show on five different TV networks CBS, NBC, Fox, ESPN, and the NFL Network. If you want to communicate with a large audience, football, college and pro, is the only product that works consistently at a high level. Basketball works to a lesser degree. Changing sports to a celebration of secular and Marxist values is preparing American minds for politicians to call for a reimagining of our Constitution? We're deep into the process. Over the past month, corporate media pundits have called anyone who questions our strategy related to war in the Ukraine as treasonous. Just think about that. How can an opinion about a war between Ukraine and Russia? be treasonous for an American. But that's what they've been saying about Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard and anybody else that questions our strategy, our tactics in Ukraine. You can't say anything bad about Vladimir Putin. You can't say anything not hyper negative about Vladimir Putin without being called treasonous here in America. Here's just an example, Mitt Romney calling Tucker Carlson treasonous. And the most popular Republican broadcaster in America,
5: Tucker Carlson, are both unabashed fans of Putin. And there are very few Republicans out there like Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney who have the courage to call them out. This is a disgrace. How anybody in this country, which loves freedom, can side with Vladimir Putin which is an oppressor, a dictator. He kills people, uh, he, 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 he imprisons his political opponents. Uh, he has been an adversary of America at every uh, chance he's had. It's unthinkable to be, it's, it's almost treasonous.
2: So if you don't go on TV and, and limit your comments to Vladimir Putin is Adolf Hitler, Vladimir Putin is bad, Vladimir Putin is the worst person on the planet. If you actually try to delve deeper into a discussion and try to analyze, like, hey, what's really going on here? Was America, uh, were, were NATO countries trying to set up shop in the Ukraine? And does Vladimir Putin have a right to see that as a threat to Russia? Again, we need to ask these questions. I don't know the answers to them. I just want it discussed and debated. That's what we used to do here in America probe, analyze, question things so that we'll have a deeper understanding. We just don't blindly put our faith in government officials. This standard of you have to describe Vladimir Putin as Hitler or you're being treasonous to America, it just doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for thinking people. The world is too complicated for that kind of simplistic analysis and discussion. And to see all the... Republicans, Democrats, corporate media, everybody all in the same bed about Russia and the Ukraine. We're not talking about 9-11, about something that happened to us. Everybody is in agreement on something that happened in the Ukraine, in Russia. We can't question this. How is this treasonous? I don't see these people speaking against America. They're asking questions. The the definition of America and American sovereignty is being redefined right before your eyes. We're not America. We're a part of this global country, this global institution, NATO. Protecting NATO is more important than protecting our own borders, than protecting our own constitution, than protecting the free speech and freedoms of Americans. If an American doesn't criticize Vladimir Putin loud enough, corporate media says you're committing treason. But just think this through. This clown, Eli Mistel, the, the 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 dude with the crazy, the the, the overweight Cornell West, he can go on national TV and call our Constitution trash without being labeled a traitor. Uh, you guys remember this? Him on the View.
3: So, are you arguing? for throwing out the Constitution? Should the Constitution be thrown out? What do we do? Is it a living document? Is it a, or is it a sacred document?
0: It's certainly not sacred. All right, let's start there. <laughs> the Constitution is kind of trash. Now, let's just, again, let's just talk as adults first. What did you say? It's what? It's kind that of tra- trash. Trash. It was, it was written by slavers and colonists and white people who were willing to make deals with slavers and colonists. They didn't ask anybody look looked like me what they thought about the Constitution. Mm-hmm. They didn't say, oh, Jim, come over here. What do you think about this old Constitution? No. Well, Massa, I sure don't like how you sell my children. Um, but I gotta say, man, this King George, he needs to be stopped. Yeah. My, my grandpa used to say, ain't no taxation without representation for Massa. Like, that's not what happened. Okay. Right? This document was written without the consent of black and brown people in this country and without the consent of women in this country. And I say if that, that if that is the starting point, mm-hmm. the very least we can do is ignore what those slavers and colonists and misogynist thought and interpret the Constitution in a way that makes sense for our modern world. That
2: That man just went on national TV without being called a traitor, without anybody on set being repulsed by what he was saying. He went on national TV and began the discussion of why we need a new Constitution. He's not a traitor, he's not treasonous. He's the overweight Cornell West arguing that our constitution is trash. He's an idiot. You wanna talk about a Russian plant, an operative for some foreign interest? He fits the description. Someone going on national TV and trashing a constitution that has lived for more than 200 years, laid the foundation for the elimination of slavery and the elimination of other forms of racism. And that's what the constitution did. You can trash the slave owners and the people that wrote it. They were flawed men of their time, no question about it. But that document that they wrote was filled with Christian values and Christian principles, and that's why it has lived and worked for as long as it has. And that's why it's been the foundation. The Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution have been the foundation for the progress that we've made here in America along racial lines, along gender lines, any steps America has taken towards fairness and equality can be directly attributed to the Constitution because the Constitution was written with the Bible in mind. Those are facts, undeniable. If this clown can point to another country with a founding document as strong and as fair, and that has worked as well as ours, I'll listen to him." This dude can't write a research paper that would stand up for more than a year or two, and he's talking about a document that has lived and has worked very well. And as uh, Royce White said on this show, described it perfectly, it's a self perfecting document. It is brilliant. I don't care how flawed the men were that wrote it. I really don't. If a KKK member came in here right now and dropped a million dollars on this desk and said, hey, Jason, it's yours. No questions asked. It's all legal. It's good. Take that and use it to help your family. I would, <laughs> I can't take that million dollars. You and the, I'm gonna take that money and the KKK man, I'm gonna, we gonna escort you out the door and I'll never see you again. I don't care that Thomas Jefferson and George Washington were flawed. The document that they conceived, signed, wrote, is not flawed. And the flaws that were in it have been fixed because the document is that brilliant. That man, Eli Mistel, the Russian plant, the the Chinese Communist Party plant, he's the traitor. He's committing treason. You have to recognize that the social engineers are intentionally manipulating the American mind. All things infused with Christian values are under attack. Sports are a battlefield for the attack. A political identity, whether red or blue, will put you at odds with a Christian identity.
1: Our bedfellows aren't strange, they're evil. On Tuesday and Wednesday, Jason had the great pleasure of having NBA legend John Stockton. He came in and he discussed everything from his career and things he's been dealing with lately, from the COVID to his sons playing basketball overseas in the Ukraine. I'm telling you, this interview with John Stockton is one of the best pieces of work I've heard Jason do in a long time. Listen.
2: You love Gonzaga. Uh, At some point this year, your season tickets were suspended over the COVID vaccine and, and not cooperating with or, or going along and getting along. Again, I, just to be clear, I pass no judgment on you. I don't believe we should be forcing these vaccines or any of this on anybody. But uh, what is the status of your relationship with Gonzaga right now?
5: Well, I think you can look at Gonzaga as an institution, and then you can look at Gonzaga, the, all the people that I work with and know uh, on a daily basis, and that relationship hasn't changed the the personal relationship hasn't changed um, they felt that I was a public figure at least the higher ups you know, I i don't, i again it didn't come from the guys I work with every day uh or or often um, somewhere up there I, I, I was too visible to not wear a mask and it it put put them on the spot they felt and and they couldn't have it and and I said, this guy can't wear a mask uh I'm opposed to you making these kids wear masks. I'm opposed to you making these kids across from me. I stare at the whole student body every game and for them to have any any vaccine mandate, but especially the covid so-called vaccine to have that mandated and have them have to wear masks and to stare across the the court at them every day i I felt like I had a duty to 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 not um you know somebody's got to stand up for these kids and um so anyway I, I held my ground they held theirs and and we we agreed to part ways for the time being and and uh, all friendly. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intending to be a Zag fan and a, a supporter of the games when these things clear. But, um, you know, I, I don't I don't know how you can how a person like me could stand there and, and just join the party.
2: And so listening to your answer, it's it doesn't sound it's as much about you wearing the mask as standing on the principle. Why are you doing this to these young people? You were trying to make a point. It wasn't just about your own personal comfort. It was about forcing this on young people.
5: Well, it's both. Um, I I put on the mask. I I can't breathe in those things. I I think they're I think they're unhealthy for us. Uh, Almost almost without exception. I think Anthony Fauci wrote a letter to that effect in 2007 that said, uh, it was probably the cause of the Spanish flu was undiagnosed pneumonia caused by mask wearing. And so, I mean, there, there's plenty of proof out there that these aren't healthy for you. There's plenty of proof out there that that they don't stop the virus. It's, it, the particles of a virus are too small. They, they don't impact it one way or the other. And yet here we are, and we're breathing whatever is attached to them, if there's disinfectants or anti-flame uh, retardants. Um, The 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 whatever it takes to manufacture them in the first place. You're inhaling them closely. You can't take a deep breath. Which if if you ever heard a rib, that's one of the things the doctors say is take you know big deep breaths so you don't get pneumonia. And yet here we are, all breathing shallowly. We're all trying to take in deep breaths through through a mask. It's unhealthy. And so it's both personal. And when it came down to that decision, they said, well, look, just put the mask on. It's it's an easy way to to make this work. And I'm saying no. We can't give in to the masks. We shouldn't be given into the testing. The testing uh, is absurd as well. It's, it doesn't even test for COVID. Uh, they're inaccurate. More than more than half of them are inaccurate uh, uh, results anyway. So so we can't give into it just to avoid the big devil, which is the vaccine. And um, you know, again, you have to make you have to make little stands. And for me, it was it was season tickets. Pretty small, frankly, Jason. Uh, that's a small deal. There's people that, that lost their, their livelihoods in in my hometown, lost their livelihoods, their businesses, their savings, all because somebody can stand over them and say, you have to do this. And, and to me, this is America, and, and we can't tolerate that. So, you know, it's my little stand, and you're giving me an opportunity to speak it more loudly, but it's, it's just a very small stand in my own little community.
2: John, I think... A lot of people looking at you take this stance and today listening to you speak this strongly. It's like, man, that's John Stockton. You know, he's a by the book, you know, company guy or whatever. And and I don't think I ever had that perception of you. What I always thought of watching you as a player and I never heard you talk about it, but I was like, Whoo, that's a man of strong convictions. The way that he carries himself on the court and always seems composed, it just made me, that's a man of strong convictions. And I speculated that, that those convictions were based in faith. And so it doesn't really surprise me. Push comes to shove. You're going to push back. So I, I'm not really surprised by this, but I would imagine other people maybe. And maybe even the people at Gonzaga were surprised that you bowed your back on this issue that, you know, John Stockton's only going to move so far. And this mass thing is a line in the sand with him. Were, were people at Gonzaga surprised
5: at your pushback? Um, I think... Well, who knows what people are thinking? You walk down the, aisle, you don't have the mask on. I'm certain there were people in the stands that were saying, "Wow, who does that guy think he is? You know, does he think he's bigger than the program? Um, uh, he's just trying to big time it." Uh, I'm sure there was some of that. Uh, I'm sure there was some of that saying, "Wow, I wish I wish I could do that." None of us should be wearing the mask, but I don't want to lose my tickets. Um, I don't want to miss the games. You know, there's there's something being held over everybody, maybe in the world. It's it's. Jobs are being held over our heads or, or relationships or uh, ex- experiences with our kids or grandkids. Um, something is, is has got everybody kind of saying, well, I don't know if I can if I can push this, I I can't, I can't risk my job. I have to feed my kids. I can't risk my kids having a place to go to school. I can't risk seeing my grandkids. If my, if my own kids were scared to, you know, to have somebody unvaccinated around their children. I mean, there's just something held over everybody. And so, um, you know, something's got to give, and I don't think we can just sit there and you're right. I am a man of conviction. I, I grew up a Catholic. My, uh, raised, raised by my parents, but also I was backed by the nuns at school and, and, uh, you know, certainly religion has been part of my life throughout my life and it's a great foundation. I think it does help in dealing with all these things moving forward. Have you
2: had COVID or anyone close to you had COVID and had a difficult time with COVID?
5: I, I had something that caused me to lose my taste. I didn't test for it. Um, um, I was mildly sick. You know, it, it, it would have been nothing, nothing cool. I wouldn't have missed a game for it. I wouldn't have missed a practice for it. I wouldn't have missed going to school for it. Um, you know, it just didn't feel that great. And I lost taste. So I, I guess by the modern standard, I, you could arguably say that I had it. Um I feel pretty confident that I've had it or I've dealt with it one way or another. The immune system's an amazing creature really. We are humans are amazing creatures and our immune systems can handle things. Most of us will come in contact, get it, not show any ill effects at all. Some of us will have ill effects. Some of us will get really sick. But I don't think it's the virus. Viruses uh the viruses don't benefit by wiping out their host, you know. Um I think we should be more scared of chemicals and chemicals being You know, the shots, stuff in our food, the stuff that we use to sterilize doorknobs and desks and walls and air. And uh, I think those things are way more risk to our health than a virus. Uh,
2: John, I I agree with you. And I've certainly argued that uh, particularly for young people, athletes, uh, the, the vaccine just isn't for them. And there's just no justification, I, I think, for overweight people like yours truly uh, and people over 50 or 60 years old. Maybe you should consider the vaccine. But the number one thing you should consider is getting in better health. I, uh, one of my coworkers here, Uncle Jimmy, Jimmy Daz, he, he got COVID in August and it shook me up because he had a bad time with it. And it made me have to start really addressing like lifestyle and things that I was doing to put myself at risk. And so I've really worked on my exercise and diet and I've been losing weight. I think that's the best strategy. And so when I look at a guy like Kyrie Irvin, for instance, uh, and what he it makes perfect sense to me, he he's in perfect relative health compared to the rest of the planet. He's young. There's just no reason for him to take this vaccine and introduce an experimental medical trial into his body. Uh, I'm wondering if you've had an opportunity to reach out and show any kind of support to Kyrie Irving. And what do you think of what he's doing?
5: I have tried to reach out to him as it was with me when I was playing very difficult to reach. Um, I've tried through a couple avenues to try to reach him, and and I have, I think. I mean, who knows what's printed places? I hear that that I've been um, out in papers in support of of him taking that stand, and at least I hope I have. I hope he's heard it because uh, I mean, it similar similarly th- similarly with Aaron Rodgers and anybody else that's spoken out. There's uh, they're taking real risks. I mean, we talked about the risks a little while ago uh, with their careers. Well with their advertisements, these guys have these guys have opportunities to do ads and make a lot of money. And they're risking all of that when you speak out against the narrative. And um, so, yeah, I, 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 if you didn't hear it before, I'm backing him now. If Aaron didn't hear it before, I'm backing him now. And the other guys that have spoken out, even if they're questioning it, look, I don't, I, I'm not strong enough to sit there and say, listen, nobody should get the vaccine. But if you're going to ask me, I think nobody should get it. It's not even a vaccine it doesn't prevent illness. It doesn't prevent the spread of illness. And yet the advertisements that our state spends a hundred million dollars on this year to, uh, to push this experimental, this test drug, um, they push it and it doesn't prevent or prevent the illness or keep you from passing on. What's the point? I mean, if it doesn't work, why would you mandate it? And why would you mandate it to kids who literally have a statistical zero risk of getting it? These athletes of getting of, of dying from it. They have even the professional athletes, they have nearly zero statistical risk of being harmed by it. And yet, I now have a list of, of hundreds of, of athletes around the world that are vaccinated that have dropped dead on the on the field. And so You know, we have to take a look at this and people need don't trust me. I mean, I'm not expecting to believe me anymore. Next, you should expect me to believe what I read on the news or in the newspaper. Go look for yourself. These people are having a hard time and they're vaccinated. And so it at least begs the question, what is going on? And to look a little bit closer at the subject rather than just believe what we're seeing on TV every day.
2: Some of the greatest players have said some of the greatest things about you. Charles Barkley says the best pure point guard ever. Uh, St- Magic Johnson, he's the best leader he's played against. Gary Payton said it was more difficult to defend John Stockton than Michael Jordan. I don't know if the praise can get any higher th- than that. What, do you agree or what, what? what's your reaction when you hear all-time great players saying things like that about you.
5: Well, it's uh, especially now. I mean, we're I'm friends with all those guys now. Uh, you know, you, it, it affords the opportunity to say nice things about them that you would have never said when we were playing against each other. And it's always appreciated. I mean, you. What's let, I mean to be appreciated by your by your coaches, your teammates, your fans. That's big. That's just really big. And then opponents is a whole other step. And I mean, I have. Uh, we could take those three guys, and I could talk for a half hour complimenting them. Uh, I mean, Magic Johnson, I think, is one of the best all-time players, and in the in the in the hunt for the best of all time. Uh, Charles Barkley is one of the best people I've ever been around. I watched. I watched him do things that that that. Um, we're so kind and so giving. Uh, in addition to what we see, you know, the personality that we see, he he shares that with everybody. Uh, Gary Payton, again, he's another guy that's become a friend over the years, and and his contribution to the game, to Seattle, the Washington State, and, um, you know, you just can't you can't quantify any of that. It's uh, these guys are great players. I talk about them forever, but that's a quick snippet. So um, you know, it it makes me proud to to hear those things. Um, feels good.
2: We, we ended the first interview with you talking about Isaiah Thomas, and, and you made reference to, I think, meeting him maybe as a high school player and it opening your mind to like, oh, even though I'm undersized and small, I can compete at the highest level. Then you talked about while you guys were in the NBA, you were at each other's throats and there was real animus there, com- good competitive animus. And then you get to the end of your career, you get inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, and Isaiah Thomas is introducing you. What happened? How did, how did y'all go from such fierce competitors to the guy that introduces you at the Hall of Fame?
5: Well, the guy the guy I fought most with on a basketball court in my entire life was my older brother. And yet I love him, right? So, and, and I mean, I had more bloody knees and elbows and foreheads and whatever. It's it's tough to be a little brother, but it's, you know, he's he's my best friend, and so um, I think that that carries on. So, uh, we had knockdown dragouts with Isaiah and the, and Detroit, obviously. Um, I admired him. He, I mean, he he raised the level for me as a high school guy. I got to watch him through college. He's just a little bit older than me. And, and, and amazed, and, and I learned by watching. And then I, he was in the league well before me, and I got to watch that. So, um, his, his, how he competed against me and how he uh, responded after games was always something that I appreciated. Uh, when he had retired, but he had started coaching, he pulled me aside a couple of times and just offered a little, you know, a little pat on the backs, you know, with with suggestions that that just couldn't have been better timed and 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 more helpful than they were so when it came to to see who would announce me it it was an easy choice i mean there was just really nobody else i could think of that that impacted impacted my life so many times um as him so again good friend uh continues to be so and um, i'm grateful for that relationship
2: and so in 1992, when the Dream Team controversy is raging, uh, and and I can't imagine you guys were that cordial back then, but maybe you were. Uh, to, you know, you've already admitted that when you guys were playing against each other, it was very competitive and some little anger fueling on both sides. But how did you? Handle the dream team controversy because there were two separate ones. There was well Michael Jordan didn't want Isaiah on the team and then there was how could they put John Stockton on the team ahead of Isaiah Thomas. Did you and Isaiah ever talk about that then and do you ever talk about it now?
5: Uh. It's come up now. Well, I, I got to tell you, one of the neat things that he did, I mentioned that he's come into my life a number of times and, and done impactful things. So that that whole selection went down. Again, I I was surprised when I got the call in the first place. I didn't believe it when I got the call. I had to call our team to confirm it um, So before I said yes. And so, you know, kind of the standard for me is, is my expectations were that I, I would never be selected for a team like that so then I'm selected, Why don't, I don't look a gift horse in the mouth, I, I just get prepared and do it, and so who else was on the team was kind of irrelevant to me, or who wasn't uh, I was asked, I have a job to do, let's go, and so, um, then the controversy comes out, but as I mentioned, I don't read the newspaper, I don't have social media, which didn't even exist then, uh, so I only heard about it on the on the days that we are playing Detroit, which is only twice a year, so um, you know, and then you heard about it a lot and you know, I, I think, you know, Isaiah, I'll tell you, he put a couple Whopper games together that year. I'll tell you that he was a load and a half to try to play against. But, uh, you know, there was a point there. But what that special thing that he did amidst all the, the, the noise on it, he found a way to call my dad. I mean, I don't know how you hear how you he would even do that. But he called my dad personally. Didn't have a secretary call. He didn't have, you know, he called my dad and just kind of explained that he felt that he belonged as well not that it was John or me and then John should have and I tell you my dad uh uh so much appreciated that and it put him at such ease and um again I'm so grateful for that I, I I don't know if I'd have been big enough to do that that's for sure and so um you know that put everything at ease in my camp for sure
2: when did that did that happen in 92 or years
5: later that happened, and that happened pre-Olympics. So um, you know that whole year was was apparently the the year of tension. But um, you know, for what it's worth, and, and my, my parents and my family always felt the tension more. I think they watched the news, you know, they watched the news, they read the newspapers, and for for being a family member of an athlete, it's probably more difficult than the athlete. You just go do your job, but they have to hear all the night and the bad things said about you and whatnot. So um, that, that was that year, and, and again as neat
2: very neat the other thing that i think is and, and <laughs> neat in a different way i i have to and i can say this because <clears throat> isaiah has shared with me that he's also become very good friends with carl malone uh but clearly your relationship with carl malone is one of the most unique experiences i think in basketball because, look, Scottie Pippett and Michael Jordan, look at the tension between them. Uh, Shaq and Kobe uh, clearly had tension. <clears throat> it seems from afar, Carl Malone and John Stockton was nothing but love to the point that <clears throat> when Carl when Malone <laughs> felt like uh, he needed to stand up for you or I don't know, knocked Isaiah down a peg or two. He did it. Uh, and so I, I, the 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 bond between you and Carl Malone is, I, I don't know what I would compare it to in sports. Uh, you know, I don't think Magic and Kareem, not that they didn't get along, but they were such different guys. I, I don't think <clears throat> they had that kind of, brotherly bond that you and Carl Malone have uh tell me about your relationship with with Carl the mailman and and just why you two uh and maybe it's cuz you're both kind of small town I know Carl's from the south and the country uh-oh <laughs> uh uh yeah, just go your, your relationship with Carl Malone.
5: It's hard to, well, it is what it is. Carl I, I, and I met in the 1984 Olympic trials, which we, neither one of us made that team. That was uh, coached by Coach Knight. Um, we're going to the lunchroom one day. We don't know each other from Adam. And, uh, there's a table open and Carl and I just kind of plunked down next to each other and started a conversation and it was unbelievable how easy the conversation was it was you know that was a tense time there was what 80 of us or 70 of us something like that all practicing and trying in three practices a day two hours each to try to make a team of 12 and so you know, it was all cordial, but there was there was no love loss between probably anybody there. But he, he, this this kid from Spokane, that country kid from Louisiana, sat down on a table and had a conversation that that lingered. You know, we we enjoyed the talk. So fast forward two years, I I, I go on to the Jazz, and Carl finishes college, and 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 he gets drafted by the Jazz, and I said, man, that's kind of a coincidence. I, I know that guy, you know. we... I would even almost, almost call him a friend. We, we had a nice conversation. So he comes to Salt Lake and he and I go walking through Hogle Zoo up there together one day and just kind of reacquaint ourselves and, and we weren't wrong. We were there. there was something there. We, we were going to be buddies. And then when we got on the court there, I, I felt there was something magical. The guy read my mind, um, he caught everything. He finished everything, he had, a, all my work ethic and then some. Um, he, he loved the game and just one thing after another just kind of bond, 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 um, to where now he's he's literally inseparable for me as a brother. I mean, we don't see each other every day. We talk occasionally on the phone, but uh, you know that, that term's probably overused. But there's nothing I wouldn't do for Carmelo, and I think there's I think he feels the same way.
1: On Thursday show. Jason discusses the new Supreme Court nominee, Kunta Brown. No, that's not right. Kananjane Brown. Jason's going to talk about this black lady that they trying to put in the Supreme Court and talk about her radical views. And look here. I know y'all think that we're making a big deal about this. But, hey, this woman could not professionally say what a woman was. Listen to this woman She she said, I can't, I, I don't know what a woman is. Wait a minute, hold it, hold it. Did I say this woman don't know what a woman is? Did I say that? Or should I say this mama don't know what a woman is? Or should I say this wife don't know what a woman is? I can't say this lesbian don't know what a woman is. Okay, I don't wanna say that. Cut. You don't
2: need to be a biologist to define the word woman. Common sense paired with a commitment to the truth That'll do the trick. Kadanji Brown Jackson, Joe Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court, either lacks common sense or veracity. The absence of either should disqualify her from a seat on the Supreme Court. Tuesday evening, during Jackson's confirmation hearing, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn asked the nominee about a 1996 Supreme Court ruling that struck down Virginia Military Institute's male-only admissions policy. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote the majority opinion, which stated that physical differences between men and women are enduring and that the two sexes are not fungible. Blackburn asked Jackson if she agreed with Ginsburg's assessment of men and women. After a pregnant pause, Jackson responded, Senator, respectfully, I'm not familiar with that particular quote or case, so it's hard for me to comment. Okay. Blackburn eventually pivoted to a simple question. Here's what happened.
3: Uh, Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Just last week, an entire generation of young girls watched as our taxpayer-funded institutions permitted a biological man to compete and beat a biological woman in the NCAA swimming championships. What message do you think this sends to girls who aspire to compete and win in sports at the highest levels? Senator, I'm not sure what message that sends. If if you're asking me about the legal issues related to it, um, those are topics that are being hotly discussed, as you say, and could come to the court.
2: So listen, I'm gonna admit this. I'm not a biologist either. Unlike Jackson, my parents were not college graduates or educators. My dad did not graduate from high school. My mother was a 30-year factory worker. I was never a candidate to attend Harvard, Jackson's alma mater. I graduated from Ball State University with a degree in football, excessive socializing, and a 2.23 grade point average. Shockingly, I can provide a definition of the word woman. Adult female person. I can even provide a definition for the word female. A human being born with a vagina, ovaries, uterus, XX chromosomes, and breasts that produce milk for feeding babies and for the enjoyment of men. Those differences, among other things, separate men from women. You don't need a biology degree to know this. These differences have been chronicled in a wide variety of popular magazines and publications, from Playboy, to National Geographic, to the granddaddy of them all, the Bible. God created man and woman. I suspect Katanji Brown Jackson disputes that last statement. Disagreement over that statement is what is at the heart of the division tearing this country apart. Who is really in control, God or man? Is truth malleable to the whims of men and women? Jackson does not lack common sense. She can define the word woman. If she can't, she should ask President Biden. He made it clear he picked Jackson because she's a black woman. Jackson's flaw is that her commitment to truth is fungible based on how truth impacts her politics. She's a politician, not a judge, not an arbiter of truth. Her particular brand of politics, left wing, requires her to eschew a biblical worldview that values truth above all else. Liberals believe the human mind determines gender. Men and women are their own gods. Our alleged mastery of science and technology makes us masters of the universe. Our thoughts and desires must be liberated, affirmed, normalized, and surgically imposed. We're gods. Gods do not tame their ambitions to be in submission to a higher power. The Satanic Thelema occult argues that "Do what thou wilt shall be the whole law of the whole of the law. America is locked in a battle of competing ideologies centered on the purpose of life. Are we here to pursue a life in accordance with biblical principles and values? Or are we here to find and determine our, our true will? pin swimmer Leah Thomas believes he is here to find his true will. He wants to be a woman. Twitter activist Sean King wants black skin. Colin Kaepernick wants to be Muhammad Ali. Same-sex attracted men want to get pregnant and bear children. Missouri Senator Josh Holley thinks, Katanji Brown Jackson is a true will advocate, a confederate of activists installing a do without will mindset into our culture and legal system. His questions surrounding Jackson's apparent sentencing sympathy toward child pornographers are likely his way of expressing concern that Jackson believes adult attraction to minors is just another sinful desire America should normalize. The Supreme Court interprets the U.S. Constitution. Our founding fathers, despite their flaws, laced the Declaration of Independence and Constitution with biblical principles and values. Thomas Jefferson could provide a definition for the word woman. He knew that slavery was wrong. He wrote founding documents that doomed the institution of American slavery. He did this because he believed his life purpose was to pursue a life in accordance with the biblical principles and values he believed in. He valued the truth, even the truths that damned him. Brown Jackson doesn't value the truth. That makes her unfit for the Supreme Court. She's an activist who will collaborate with activists who want to dismantle the Constitution and write one that favors people in search of their true will. She wants to be on the right side of a history leftist plan to write. The Constitution is written for Americans who want to be on the right side
1: of God. On Friday show, Jason has the professor, Professor D. Delano Squires, He's going to be in to talk about his latest column regarding Supreme Court Justice nominee. What's the name? Katanji. Katanji Brown Jackson. Hey, you've written another uh,
2: great column that I think is appropriate given uh, what happened with the Supreme Court nomination and the hearings this week. And and Katanji Brown Jackson not wanting to define uh, what a woman is you, you kind of use that as a good jumping off point or a good news peg uh, to write a column about uh, Handmaid's Tale a- a- explain that you you play off the movie Handmaid's Tale to set to describe what's actually going on with women and feminist and American culture
4: sure so, so Jason I've, I've actually never watched Handmaid's Tale that I mean Hulu didn't create it for me. Um, I think my wife watched maybe season one, but I'm familiar with it because every time, you know, conservatives gain some ground, either in the culture wars or in the political battles, invariably some left-leaning woman will come, get on TV and say, oh, what the GOP is trying to do is turn America into the real handmaid's tale. So I know, um, jo- I've heard Joy Reid do this on a number of occasions. Uh, it typically comes whenever, you know, abortion restrictions are passed in a particular state. And um, she'll say, you know, this is the GOP's entire strategy, right? So the picture she's painting is that the GOP and conservatives more generally want American women to be docile, stripped of their dignity, and only want them to be, um, basically wombs for sale, all right, N- NATO s- slaves. So they just breed, have kids, serve the patriarchy, um, and, and sort of live under the thumb of, of religious oppression. So that's the frame that she paints. As I started thinking about what's going on in our culture and the fact that you see some of the most powerful women in sports journalism, um, in the media more generally, in entertainment, in business, Completely refuse to even define what the word woman is, and obviously this week it was the Supreme Court nominee uh, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. I started thinking about it, and I said, "No, this is something the, the 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 left has this completely inverted. It's these women who are serving the interests of a new set of men, not traditional patriarchs, All right? These are men who think that they are women, and." their views and and their feelings have to be attended to such that, as I said, the most powerful women in the country can't even talk about the thing that they've spent their entire lives building their identity around, which is womanhood. So, I mean, at at the end of the day, Jason, it's fairly simple. Um, These women, oftentimes feminists, the most powerful women in America have finally found a group of men that they're willing to submit to.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Bill Thomas, and I don't know what Rachel Levine's uh, former name is, but look, you make a great point. I I think one thing that is becoming just more and more obvious, the way uh, the Babylon Bee has been silenced, Charlie Kirk has been silenced over social media apps, big tech, obviously, You know, they can still say what they want, but they can't do it on these platforms where the worst thing you could do is is I think Charlie Kirk or someone got in trouble for for saying that uh, Rachel Levine spent 54 years as a man, had kids, mm-hmm. was married, blah, 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 and then decided and and then got elevated to this, you know, appointment by uh, Joe Biden because he's allegedly a woman now. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, if he continued living his previous life, he wouldn't have the job uh, that he had. And if Joe Biden weren't able to define what a woman was, Kadangi Brown Jackson probably wouldn't be a Supreme Court nominee if he was as befuddled as her because as far Joe Biden is not a biologist either. I don't know. Is, is Joe Biden a, a biologist? Does anyone know? He's <laughs> uh, no. a doctor. Not to <laughs> my knowledge. <laughs> no,
5: that's
2: right. yeah. Yeah. And his wife, yeah she's got a PhD or something. Yeah, she's or, a yeah, so she's yeah a She works at community colleges, so she's a doctor. So maybe, but... It's a fascinating time we live in, and, and I think your column gets at the hypocrisy of this culture.
4: Yeah, and, and, and again, it's, it's an amazing thing to see because, as I said in the column, these are some of the most outspoken women on abortion, on racism, on climate change, on social justice, on political power, on, on uh, economic independence, on pay equity. But the one thing, as I said, that they've built their identity around, which is their actual womanhood, which they they have never had a problem defining before. uh, This this new class of men, right, people like Leah Thomas and and, uh, Rachel Levine, as as you say, um, have made them sit down and shut up. And when these men speak, the women I'm talking about have to be silent. Now the irony is these women have spent their careers painting conservative women traditional women Christian women as meek and mild and docile as, as submissive to their husbands um, but the big difference is you know the, the, the men that they say these women are submitting to right husbands and, and, and fathers and and some, even Jason you talk about it right it, it being a benevolent dictator as it relates to the women in your family. The, the, the men that I'm talking about here see their primary two functions as to provide and protect. And all throughout history, males in any society have had that. That's the baseline. You may do more than that, but you can't do less than that. Now, the difference is that the men that the women I'm talking about, these new handmaids, right, the most powerful women in the country, They serve men who have no interest in protecting them or providing for them. In fact, the relationship is flipped. These men take from them. Right. I I once heard, you know, a, a pastor say something to the effect of when you withdraw from people, you know, in whom you're supposed to deposit, you molest that which you're supposed to protect. And that's exactly what's going on um, right now in, in, in our culture. So it, it really is a fascinating thing to see. These are these are people, you know, like last week when, when ESPN, they did their moment of silence and L. Duncan is talking about standing in solidarity. And again, I, I'm i I'm listening. I, I want to hear at least one of these people say, you know what, we know that there are young girls who feel a different way about this. We want to give their voices a platform to be heard. None of them will do that. And what really brought it home this week for me is not just that, that you know, Judge Brown Jackson would not define woman, but it was also the exchange between her and Senator Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham about you know, child uh, uh, people who consume like, child pornography, right? I said this later in the column, the left has moved the Overton window right in front of our children's bedroom. And the new handmaids are, are helping them prop up the ladder and streaming through the window are a, a cadre of perverts, um, miscreants, uh, ne'er-do-wells who are trying to tell our sons that they can become girls and tell our daughters that being female is just a feeling. And as I said in the piece, some of them even want to take a, a few pictures as a keepsake they're emboldened to do that because they know that their handmaids who are holding up the ladder down below will vigorously defend them. And also say their name if anything happens to them. And we, <laughs> we see that both with, with, you know, Judge Brown Jackson and Joy Reed, you know, after the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. Oh, Joseph Rhodes' mom, he's he's the real victim. A guy who who did hard time in prison for, for molesting, I think, an eleven year old boy. That's who Joy Reid wants to spend her social capital on. But, but when the girls, as I said, who are crying out across this country say, look, I wish some of these women with platforms would speak up for me, as I said, the, the new handmaids have, have been rendered completely silent.
2: You bring up uh, Brown Jackson and, and Josh Hawley's line of questioning, followed in by Ted Cruz, that I thought was very powerful and very appropriate this week. Uh, but but I saw like women in the media particularly the leftist women in the media like Gail King mm-hmm. oh the questioning of, of Judge Brown Jackson is just very painful to watch and they're, they're I've seen all these stories written about how the GOP has crossed the line with their questioning and and I'm sitting there in amazement because These questions are directly attached. And I'm talking about the stuff about child pornography and and potentially, you know, is she enabling uh, pedophilia or whatever. They're talking about her record as a judge and -hmm. her citizen patterns as it relates to child pornography. They're talking about her record as a judge not her personal life not anything that happened to her in high school or junior high school or something that someone did to her in high school or junior high school they're talking about her record as a judge i don't find anything about it inappropriate i certainly as an outsider i don't find it painful i find it more enlightening because i I honestly think it's not a coincidence that joe biden just happened Mm. to pick the one judge who is sympathetic towards child pornography and perhaps sympathetic towards pedophilia, that's who Joe Biden landed on. And, Mm. And I've seen enough pictures of Joe Biden with his hands around the neck and his mouth at the ear of women, young women and children to say, hey, I don't think I'm being QAnon by asking what's going on here, what is this Ketanji Brown-Jackson, what are her real qualifications, what's her real uh, agenda going to be uh, when she gets to the Supreme Court because she's going to be confirmed, all the Democrats are going to vote for, uh, and there will probably be a couple of Republicans roll over, but if not, Kamala Harris will pass or will cast the deciding vote. Uh, Mm -hmm. but, But I just find this whole line of questioning appropriate and, and
1: not remotely out of bounds. Hey, that's going to be our show. Hey, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the likes, hit the subscribe button. Join the fearless army to get that fearless wagons gear. I'm Uncle Jimmy. I'm out of